Hey, what's up, everybody? Today, I have an awesome episode for you guys with my homie Kyle Breeder from Predicated Breeding. Today, we talk about his genetics and what he does to stress test his genetics and make sure they're ready for all the growers out there. And we get into how to breed and how he started. It's actually a really dope interview, and I'm glad he came on. So I really hope you guys enjoy it. I also wanted to talk about the giveaway I'll be doing on Instagram. So if everybody could please follow the Talking Buds podcast on Instagram, I'm going to be giving away a trim bag at the end of October. I'm going to make a post later this weekend. So if you could please follow the Talking Buds podcast on Instagram and look for that post, that'd be dope. Well, that's it for the business part. So let's jump into this episode with Kyle Breeder. What up, everybody? Welcome to Talking Buds. Um, today we have my friend Kyle Breeder. Uh, he is the breeder for Predicative Breeding. What's up, Kyle? How's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, man. So I did want to talk to you um, about your growth setup and uh, what you actually breed with. You know, um, what your uh, main strain is. So. To start, um, you know, do you use synthetic nutrients or um, are you an organic grower? Well, when I first started out, uh, I knew botanic care was organic, <clears throat> but I was a little uneducated between, you know, true organics and synthetic. Um, so I was using that with ProMix and uh, I never got it tested, so I don't really know the outcome of what was inside of that flower, but it, it was a good product for sure. Um, but obviously as years went on, uh, I wanted to get more into the pure organic route because I feel that there's like a dramatic difference in uh, taste, flavor, but more importantly for me, <clears throat> the effect. And whether I'm just more sensitive to cannabis than others, I don't know, but I definitely noticed a different effect in uh, the two styles of growing. But uh, yeah, I went that route just to have a, like, you know, true, healthy, uh, organic cannabis. And, uh, you know, I'm still venturing in that world i'm still trying to get better with it but uh you know currently i use roots organic and okay. uh it's a really good product all right so like do they have a water only mix or do you amend your own yeah no so they do and i started with that at first but um yeah they have a super soil that's uh i can't recall the exact name of it but they do they do have one a product and uh yeah it's a good product uh, the only thing the only problem with that is I feel like that's more for uh, people that have more room, maybe not so much home growers because um, you know, when you're trying to basically breed and it's but more for breeding. Um, but you know, when you're trying to breed, you need like mass numbers and you need like fast pace. So a, that's an issue because you know, you're not wanting to uh, transplant all the time. You want to try and limit that down. But um you know, when you're trying to fill a tent with a bunch of phenos, well, if you put a gallon of, you know, or even like a half gallon or a gallon of super soil, that shit don't last that long. You get like a couple weeks out of it and then, it, <clears throat> you know, then they're starting, they're starting to die and uh, get deficiencies. And uh, it's just, so if you are breeding, unfortunately, as much as it sucks to, depending on how big your crop is, you know, sitting there and being a scientist for an hour <laughs> or something, trying to mix potions, uh, it's just a lot easier to do 
basically liquid organic versus super soils. So yeah, I use basically right now I use pro mix and rich organic. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, at least I believe that more of the, you know, more breeders use synthetics because it's a lot faster to grow in cocoa from what I hear. And, uh, you know, you can just feed the plant, whatever it needs right then and there with organics. I, I didn't know you could dial it in as well. You know, I've never used any bottle nutrients that were organic, but I do want to try that. So I'm looking at uh, the Michigan mix I was going to try first. And then if I could amend my own soil, but. So, yeah, if you're growing, that's awesome. If you get a seven, you know, if you can fit, depending on how much room you have, but I mean, if you can do seven to 10 gallon pots of super soil, man, is that the life. It's so easy and it's so efficient you just like you said you just you just water the damn thing you know and it's the whole life it does you know you don't want to go five gallon because you'll run out in like week three or week four flower i know that from experience but uh you know if you do like seven or tens i mean the whole experience is amazing you can just focus on the plant and training it and you don't have to like try and sit there and you know i i especially recommend that for people starting out you know because it's better for you to understand the plant itself see how it grows try different training procedures and then um you know it just makes it a lot easier and then what i feel and you go either out you know because you can make a really good super soil that will last but again moving back to what i do it doesn't work for me for breeding because i need more numbers with smaller pots while super soil don't last long in those pots but uh it's, it's definitely not a horrible route but the roots organic line is amazing man it has you know specific calcium uh you know calmag it's got specific veg flour uh like a sea kelp type mixture your your, my, your macros and your micros uh, but they have a whole liquid line you just have to kind of get uh, you know used to figuring out the dosages and stuff right so um so a lot of newer growers probably aren't going to want to dump a bunch of money right away i mean they already got to buy a tent and a light so you know is is that an expensive route to go through roots organic or you know, is it just as cheap as buying, you know, um, any kind of bottle nudes? I think it's like a double-edged sword, man. Uh, you know, I know, and I know what you're saying too, because, uh, you know, if they want to, it really all depends on what they want to consume. So like, if you have to wait a little bit or find another way, but like, they're not all that expensive because, uh, I mean, but you could go like the general hydroponic route, which is like the powder, which is pure synthetic. So some people don't give a shit. They don't know a difference. Some people might just be selling it. So maybe use that stuff. But I think if you're personally consuming it and maybe if you care about other people consuming your flour too, that, uh, going pure organic and, you know, it's like, I don't know, $13 per bottle for the line. I think there's like seven bottles in the line. So oh, that's not know. bad. No, it's, uh, and you're just, you know, I'm not, I mean, I, I smoked my whole life, so I'm not one to preach about health, but like, it's just a, it's just a better way to go. And it's just re, you're like, you're smoking real cannabis in my opinion. Right. And I mean, from what I understand, organics brings out more of, you know, the, the plant's actual expression. It's not, you know, being forced, you know, nutrients and pushed to do a certain thing. So I, I heard that it actually brings out more uh, aroma and taste. I mean, would you, would you second that? Yeah, I fully believe that. Uh, I'm sorry. I agree with that. Um, you know, there's a, you know, yeah. So, I mean, basically your, uh, you know, the core of your, your soil mix, depending on what's in there will dictate flavors of the cannabis, um, you know, whether it be bat guano and, and other 
you know, prime sources of fertilizers, you can actually, you can taste the difference in all them. But yeah, I would agree, man. I, I think for me, uh, switching over to synthetic, the plants just look a lot happier, a lot more natural, a lot more praying. You know, what I mean by praying is just leaves basically 45 and in the air. Right. Um, yeah, they just, uh, they just look a lot more happier for sure. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get off the bottle pretty soon and go to organic. Um, so you, you've been growing for a while. Uh, how long have you been growing? Uh, it all started when I was 18 in Florida. Um, a friend I met down there, his mother used to get weed from Cocoa Beach. I've never been there, but it seems like a nice place. But the weed he would get, man, was like, or that his mom would get, was like this neon, like, like basically the, like those neon things that you put in the light and they shut off the dark. It was like that color. Uh, it was just like this vibrating green, man. And, uh, you know, he somehow she would get ounces and ounces and ounces. Well, every once in a while, a great while, I have an old friend that used to say, and I've kind of find it to be true, but I also don't search every single part of the bud or every, you know, uh, calyx on the whole plant. But I have an old friend that says, uh, Every female produces one seed. Um, I believe that. I don't, I don't know if that's completely true, but I just just one though. Um, I have found it kind of be true when I've checked, but um, I can't guarantee that. But anyways, uh, I forgot what initially what you were talking about. Um, oh yeah, so he we got some seeds and we planted we planted sixteen in his backyard, and they were the most stickiest, beautiful like cocoa beach weed or like Florida weed. Man, it was like stuff that they didn't even seen down there because the weed that I was buying when I was down there wasn't even that good. But uh, anyway, these seeds were amazing. And basically when they were like week five, so I about to see my first true harvest, uh, a helicopter would basically hovered above his backyard for like, I don't know, like a solid six minutes. And we started freaking out because, uh, you know, helicopters have infrared and whatever. So we just freaked out and brought everything inside, cut it premature. But that's where it all started, buddy. You know, and then I was like collecting seeds and kind of playing around. But I'd say in the last four years, I got really serious about uh, understanding biology on a, you know, like a botanist level and, um, you know, breeding and how that works. And, uh, you know, because it's basically you're like, uh, you know, playing with Mother Nature and creating your own stuff is, uh, is actually pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen, I've actually just finished one of your plants and, I loved it. The thing grew like crazy, massive colas, and I mean it's drying right now, so I get to see uh, what you've been doing. So I'm I'm excited for that. Um, and it, you know you have uh, a lot of crosses with uh, New, Eng New England rock candy. Uh, you want to tell us about that strain and why you chose that strain as your main strain? Yeah, so I'd say I got kind of lucky with that girl, you know, and I'm not one. Uh... I feel like it's more sketchier for breeders to kind of muddle or hide, uh, you know, where they got their genetics from and, and then just renaming it and stuff. So I'm more open about it. Um, cause at the end of the day, everyone got their shit from somebody unless they started with pure land race, um, you know, or heirloom seeds. Right. But, um, so I had that same kid that said, you know, uh, every female grows one seed. Well, he was an, uh, an Asian kid that worked at a gross, a local grocery store that I became friends with. Well, he was a master grower in Colorado. Well, over there, when he was over there, alien rock candy had just came out and it was this huge thing. It was hitting like 33%. It was like one of the first, you know, in that era kind of somewhat. Uh, and basically that kid offered the guy who created alien rock candy, I think like 
seven thousand dollars for one clone and the guy wouldn't even sell it to him it was just like that special of a plant um yeah so moving forward he always wanted it and always you know basically never let down that moment well when i met him here because he lived he moved to massachusetts started a grocery store uh he kept telling me about it alien rock candy and i was just like well let's see if they have it online somewhere well weirdly enough and i don't preach people going to the seed banks i'm saying that right now but uh dutch passion somehow had s1 alien rock candy seeds and uh we bought them the second we bought them they basically like took it off the market almost like i honestly feel like they didn't even know they forgot they had it in their like in their archive somewhere because they immediately pulled it the second we bought a pack but um i highly doubt it was like the last pack it was just a weird scenario but um yeah so i grew out uh i think i gave him five and i got five or something like that and uh yeah i popped five and one of them was just like this fire immense trichome heavy yielding uh you know rock candy so then i selfed it went through the children and then i found someone that looked like the mother and back crossed it and that's how new england rock candy came about um but just super vigorous any cross i put her into just does this wicked well frosts out from her so obviously uh you know her i would say that her i mean i'm not sure but her thc production is homozygous because everything i've touched uh most certainly goes that route but uh but yeah that's how she started man she's definitely like the flagship of the company yeah and i mean i can i can second that i'm pretty sure you've seen what i grew and that thing was massive i mean it almost touched the top of my tent my tent's seven feet tall <laughs> and it just you know the colas are literally the size of my arm and i've never seen anything like that so yeah that yeah. and the uh, british cherry cake were the I think you, so you and that, that, you know, and then another guy, gentleman that had a British cherry cake, which, uh, unfortunately I pulled off the website, but, um, yeah, just like, like above soda can size, like widths. It was like crazy shit. Uh, but it makes me happy that, you know, that the, the people are getting good stuff. So with, uh, with your grow setup, um, and breeding, is there a certain light that you use or do you use HPS or LED? I use LED. Uh, well, I started with HPS, MH and HPS, which was a horrible first starter for a newbie grower way back when. Uh, okay. It was like constant air conditioners all the time. And it's just uh, always hot. No matter how many times I rerouted the, the freaking place, it was just always super hot. Um, but I managed it, but really good yields, really good, really, you know, old school and they're still good today. They just, they might not be as uh, cost efficient, but uh, then I switched to LEDs because I, you know, I know that basically we're getting further into uh, technology and, you know, they, they do very well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I bought some, some LEDs and uh, I'm pretty, pretty happy. My, I have like a whole mix package, so I can't like represent one brand, but uh, yeah, right. I'd say I stay away from blurples because they take bad pictures, but they work well. <laughs> yeah i think they're outdated now i mean i'm pretty sure everybody's gone to the white light and i mean yeah it's a lot better for pictures um oh wicked man yeah yeah i've never i've never actually grown with hps i did own a cmh but i actually returned it to get um a mars hydro light but yeah cmhs are nice too i like those i, I ran those for a year uh brandon ross sold me two of them and i used those for a year uh, they're pretty good do you do you remember uh what which one it was which uh mars hydrolite 
No, he sold me two CMHs. Oh, CMHs, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, everyone I think- has really, or everyone really likes those Spectrum. So, I mean, I heard that, you know, the Spectrum is king for a CMH. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, they just came out beautiful too. Yeah, that light Spectrum was, uh, was pretty efficient for sure. So with uh, your breeding setup, do you do you have a bunch of little tents or do you have one big tent? Um, if someone were to like be looking into getting to breeding, uh, what would you recommend? Well, I, you have like a, a novice style, and then I guess when I was like maxed out, and this all this stuff, uh, you know, uh, is done in non-commercial settings. So it's it's more challenging for someone to make it happen in smaller confinements. I find it to be more skilled, to be honest. Um, and someone that has tons of space or room, like, you know, big box out rooms or bed, full bedrooms and shit. But, uh, yeah, so to start off, I would definitely get, uh, I mean, well, I guess if you're going super, super novice, uh, you know, like a four by four, basically, which will be like your, uh, so you know what they make that's wicked nice and I keep buying them over and over and over. They make, uh, a four by six. Yeah. And four feet of it is a four by four. And the other two feet is a tarp, uh, you know. Um, like a little wall, of, basically. Yeah, that well, I can't think. Mylar, a mylar tarp that goes down. And then two shelves for clones and seeds. And, man, that's that to me, that is the highlight all day long. That's To me, that's the number one thing to buy at first. Because you can have all your veg plants going, you know. Let's, so you, you start on the right side, you pop all your seeds. And then you put them in the middle, I'm um, sorry, in the four by four once and you top them so that way you can start getting your, because immediately you want clones. That's the biggest thing with breeding is you're always topping to get clones because you need as many clones as possible because you're always trying to do rounds and you're always trying to spray some and then pollinate some. So you want mad clones. So you're topping in that four by four to get more clones. Well, once you clone them, you know, you put them in the dome and then when they're finished, you put them into, you know, the, the top tray of that right side. So now you have all your backups ready. And you need another tent for flower. So you take all those basically donor mothers, flower them out, keep the flower. And then, so now you have a bunch of clones ready and then you just pull the clones. Um, so basically you need a third tent, unfortunately. So that's your rotation between new seed popping and new, and new phenos. And then, you know, getting your clones from them is that four by six. So that's automatic. You need one to flower you need, it's just good to have flower or you can use it for, um, you know, having a female in there and then just putting pollen onto them. And then you need a, uh, a, a, I guess what I would consider a spray tent. Okay. So three tents, I would say one, cause you don't want to be spraying STS inside of your, any of the tents that you're like trying to either, you know, cause basically once you get the seeds out, you can still make all kinds of stuff with the, uh, uh, you know, the leftovers with everything, basically all the flour and all the sugar leaves. So you don't want to spray it. So you kind of make an isolated STS tent. So, but all you need is like a two by two tent, you know, where you have like two or three plants that you want to spray or, or depending on how much pollen you're given. Um, but I would suggest that the four by six, a small two by two for flower or something or, or for another four by four and then a spray tent. And that could be any size, uh, even just one, a small two by two and just have one plant there that will be your main pollen donor or male, you know, female if you're spraying to get feminized seeds, male if you're just trying to do red crosses. But, um, I don't know if that answered your question any. No, you did. So with, you know, which method do you prefer? Do you use a male or do you just uh, spray them with uh, 
SDS? Well, this is an interesting question because I got asked this question six months ago and it caused some controversy, but uh, I personally, until there hasn't been any scientific proof yet, and this is basically the only argument that I have, unless something has changed and someone please let me know, but no one knows for sure, you know, that with crossing two females of this of the same uh, varietal, that you can't quite achieve the same with with the male, you know, meaning like basically you don't really need the male. Right. And I don't mean, I'm not saying uh, discard all males. I think you should save them for preservation for sure because they play a vital role in cannabis biology, um, you know. And in case in the future someone does find something that you need it anyways, but I do only girl on girl. And for me, the reason why, and I'm sure some people know this, is with a female plant, you can see all the qualities and aspects that you're trying to move forward into the next generation. You can see the trichome production. You can see the sets of, you know, uh, the flower, the, the calyx size, the, the structure of the plant, the yield of the plant. Uh, you can just, the, you know, you can see, you can find terpenes on both, but uh, there's just so much more you can get from a girl. So then when I find this girl on the left, I'm like, oh, wow, she's got all these attributes. And I look at this one on the right, I'm like, damn, she's got all these attributes. I know what I'm crossing with the male, unfortunately, it's it's guesswork um so you're you're taking pollen putting it on a couple females growing those children out you know really if you're going to use males you need multiple males you take some pollen from each male and you put it on a branch of, of the same girl and basically you're trying to look to see which what does each male offering maybe the, the first male is offering a better yield but not much trichome production maybe the second male is offering high trichome production but smaller yields now there is a way around that where you can sit and uh kevin jodry does that um, if no one knows who that is, check him on YouTube. He's a really smart, smart man. But um, basically, he takes all of his leaf cuttings before flower from all of his males, and he sends them into the lab, and they come back with analytics. Now, the analytics aren't huge numbers because it's not a girl, but with those numbers, and after you have enough of those numbers of, this, of different males, you can kind of get a gist of who's packing the heat. And from those numbers, he pulls out, number, oh, number six is, has, you know, the numbers, basically high THC numbers, even though they're only in like wicked small percentages. And he'll use that, he'll throw everything else out, not waste the, the tent, not waste the, the money anymore. He kills everything else, grabs that one male that tested high, and then crosses it. And that is an efficient way of doing males if you wanted to go that route. Okay. So when you're, when you're breeding, um, I know that you stress test uh, your all your plants to make sure they don't harm. Uh, you wanna you wanna tell the listeners why you stress test your um, your plants to make sure they don't harm and what you do to stress test them. Yeah. So uh, before I came in the industry and specialized in feminized seeds, uh, there was an issue, and the issue was a vast majority of companies were just taking two girls that look beautiful crossing them together and yes they made beautiful children but they didn't know the stability of them and i mean i try and reference just like humans how because it's, it's just an easy way to understand i'm not trying to say anything negative about people's lives or anything but uh you know even human nature we have a girl who thinks he's a boy a boy who thinks he's a girl well something of like that basically happens in the cannabis world um and 
they have that issue and they're triggered by sensitivity uh, of stress. So whether it be light leaks, uh, overwatering, underwatering, too much heat, too much humidity, too low humidity, uh, root bound, overfeeding, underfeeding. And if they're sensitive to that, they will basically turn male. And the reason why they turn male is cannabis plants itself are dioecious plants, meaning that they genetically hold male and female in their body. But a true girl knows she's a girl and a true boy knows when it's a boy, but they do have some in-betweens um, that are confused about what they are um, and can easily be triggered by stress. I wouldn't say they're confused what they are. That's, that's wrong terminology for biology, but basically <laughs> they're just, it could go either way. So the reason... The whole issue of that, um, the reason why it's important is basically you don't want to start growing cannabis and then, you know, let's say something happens in the basement and your AC cuts off and they just start getting stressed because it's so hot. And then everything that you just worked for for the last five, six, seven months and all the money you put into it and your electric bill, your soil, your nutrients, everything else, and your own time, which is valuable, it all gets seeded and it's just trash. So to answer your second question, I knew there's a problem with the industry. So... You know, for me, uh, whatever seeds I collect, I basically, uh, from beginning to end, I put them in the most uh, effed up lifestyle possible. So, uh, you know, I'll flower them in solo cups. I'll put them, I basically crank my uh, temperatures up to 105, anywhere from 100 to 105, uh, minimal oxygen. Uh, I let them get so <clears throat> underfed water-wise uh, I let them droop, but then I catch it in time to pick them back up. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a too far level with that, but <clears throat> high heat, uh, no humidity, overfeeding. So they're starting to get deficiencies, but then I'll water them to kind of get them back to health. And just, if they survive that whole thing, which only like 80, uh, basically 85% doesn't survive that process. I save the 15% and I breed with those and start playing around. Okay. It just, so... it just, it, it just ensures you that you're, bringing forward a better generation of those genes right and i'm 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 not gonna lie when i was starting out growing i know i overfed and i know my room got way too hot so for a new grower i think this would be huge and that's why i was so happy to get your seeds because i really i've only grown a couple rounds so finding a trusted breeder that is actually going to stress test their genetics and make sure that, you know, they're putting out solid work. I think that's huge in the cannabis industry. And I appreciate that you did that. So. Well, you know what the biggest issue is, man. <clears throat> and the reason why a lot of people aren't doing it, which is why I feel like myself's a little bit more valuable than, than most, um, you know, is basically <clears throat> what company do you know that is relying and unfortunately you know people are in it for the money um you know hopefully most of them are like passion and a little bit of change to basically fund their habit of giving you what you, you know what you guys would want but you know um uh, basically what i was trying to get at is uh you know companies don't have time so like you know you figure let's say in january you, you collect a bag of seeds uh february they're about ready to clone you know, and then two weeks, uh, it takes to root, and then two weeks to acclimate. So now you're in March. And then, you know, then you start, you gotta let them grow them out for a little bit. So maybe another month to get them kind of big. And then you're spraying them. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, let's say you flip the timer. So, you know, basically what happens is <clears throat> it's like a, and then, you know, you gotta stress test them, and then you gotta dry the flower out to where it's basically pure powder. 
Uh, so for anybody that's trying to collect seeds in the bud still wet, uh, I wouldn't advise that. You want it, you want the flower so dry that it just kind of turns into powder almost. Um, it allows the, the bark of the shell to be completely dehydrated. But um, for them to wait eight months to do a whole stress testing process, and then, <clears throat> and I'm sorry, that's not even it. So let's say that took six, seven months. Well, then you got to test the children. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So now you got to grow those out, at least in the flower, and to make sure that from beginning to end that there wasn't like bananas or like this, you know, uh, they just don't have time. So basically it took me almost a year of strictly finding my core, you know, uh, of a core group of plants that I could start breeding with and, and be comfortable with to even begin to start making seeds. And nobody, I'm sure not, I don't know too many companies that wait a year to start, to start slinging seeds out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just kind of yeah. make crosses and fling them out. There's definitely a couple people that I, I see on Instagram where it's like, you know, they, they drop a bunch of seeds and then they disappear and their account's gone. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, what was that? <laughs> did he just put out a bunch of trash or did he get caught renaming someone's strain or, you know, I'm, I see it all the time. And that's definitely, you know, I was, I was skeptical. Um, finding anybody on Instagram definitely to order seeds from, but I also listen to you on cheap home grow and I know that you're a trusted breeder and you've been around for a while. So that's why I gave you a shot and I, I was happy with it. I mean, I had no problem growing that plant. So, but you know, with the stress testing, I know you say uh, most plants are going to harm because of the light leak, right? No, so from from my experience, uh, high heat is uh, of, especially on uh, gender flip. So seventy percent of cultivars for me will turn herm or having herm issue. Or I'm sorry, the correct terminology is intersex issues. But um, during um, the gender flip, so like the second you flip the flower, within those two weeks, there's like a pistol. But then right after the pistol, there's like a male sac. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's gone. And I just started throwing stuff out. And as you get further into it, some will be female for like two weeks, but then they'll start sprouting, you know, sacks in, in the flower, like hidden. I'm like, no, that's gone. Um, but for me, it, it's, it's high heat and uh, minimal oxygen is, is a, 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 basically a bullet, almost a bulletproof trigger to, okay. for me. To so when you say minimal oxygen, do you mean like no uh, air movement, no fans or... Like uh, just like circu circulating like trash air, <laughs> you know, like circulating in the same room where it's just like this hot, humid, dispensed air. You know what I mean? Like they're, you're just cycling right. their air back into them. Not, they're not getting fresh CO2. They're not getting outside air. Um, and so that would be, yeah, I know it's probably not the most technical term, but. Uh, no, I get what you mean. And that's, yeah, that's actually really air. useful. Yeah. The stagnant air and high heat, man, if that don't trigger it, then if, and they, if they don't basically, you know, and as well as some other things too, you don't want to just do that. And then like, oh, Kyle said it was good. <laughs> There's more to it. But uh, that to me is a definitely a very high probability of weeding them right out. Yeah. My first grow, um, I got some seeds from an online uh, seed bank and I know it wasn't the seed bank's fault. I'm more than positive that I had a light leak from my window in that room. So I hermed out my first plants and that definitely sucks and can definitely turn away someone from growing when you spend, like you said, six, seven months growing out a plant and it's trash with seeds. So when you're actually like stress testing these genetics, um, 
you said that they can grow seeds in the flower. So are you actually like digging in the flower looking for, um, you know, little balls or seeds? Uh, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. But to comment on one thing you just said, and something that me and Jack and some other people talked about, and we're not sure if it's a hundred percent true, but it makes complete sense to me. So I don't think a light leak completely creates the whole plant to go harm because if I just spray one single branch with STS or, you know, uh, a silver thiosulfate to make feminized seeds, just that one branch gets triggered because I affected that one branch. So each branch is like its own entity for sure. Um, and that's just, that proves that. So I think when, if the light leak is hit in a certain spot on the plant, I think that plant will harm because it's like what the, basically what the F's going on because I'm getting light, but the rest is dark. Um, but I also don't know for sure because maybe that one branch sends a stress signal through the whole plant that no one's just you know no one's discovered yet but i would i would likely to believe if your whole whole hand uh, your whole plant harmed or you know had intersex problems that uh it was just genetically gonna happen regardless uh, but that's just my two cents on that right um or the, what was the question do you do you actually like dig through um oh, yeah. your flowers yeah yeah i do and it's there are ways on YouTube to not have to do it my way. Um, but yeah, so I'm kind of old school, almost like hashish maker. So I basically, uh, when I'm, when I cut my flowers down, I put them in a room with the dehumidifier, preferably, if not, um, you can kind of get away with it. If you have a constant fan blowing on them, it'll just basically whip the air out pretty quickly. Right. Depending on how humid your, if your, if your room is mad humid, you're basically battling itself. But, uh, yeah, so I just get that point to the point where it's super dry towards powder. I'll basically cut all the buds in a bowl, do whatever with the stem, you know, the main stem that it was on. And I'll just basically sit in a chair or wherever and uh, start crushing them. I'll just crush them, slide it into a bigger bowl, crush that into that same bowl. And then once I have this huge bowl of shaking seeds, uh, what I did, well, what I didn't do at first was I thought I could separate all the seeds by hand. And that was... It, within a half an hour, I knew that was the most horrible idea and super inefficient. <laughs> so uh, I got like to 30 seeds in like a half an hour or something stupid. And I was just like, it was probably more than that, but it just wasn't worth it. So I called the carpenter. Uh, they're around, you know, some of your, maybe your smoker buddies are carpenters, you know, somewhere, but that's who I was. I met a guy at a grocery store who was a carpenter. I called him. I said, Hey, I sent him, I took a screenshot of a YouTube seed maker. So do you think you could build that? He was like, yeah, I can do that. I was like, how much you think? I gave him, I think, 150 bucks, 100 bucks. And dude, I have like this state-of-the-art, beautiful uh, seed separator. And literally, so that whole bowl, let's say, uh, I don't know, like a massive salad bowl. I can't, I don't really know chords, but uh, just basically a massive bowl. And I just dump it into one slot and within, I don't know, 25, 30 seconds, it's completely separated clean. One bucket's purely clean seeds with no shake and the other side's all the shaking stems uh, all in 30 seconds so yeah. is it like a sifter like a no so it's like a passive air it's a passive air thing so there's two holes in the top it's like it's a rectangle but standing up there's two holes on the top the uh and there's two holes on the bottom so you plug one hole on the bottom on the left and you leave one hole open. That's where the seeds trickle down. And uh, basically, you stick the vacuum in on the left side, and you and you turn the vacuum on. Well, as you pour it down the hole on the the shake down the top right hand side, 
the air that's getting up, you know, the sucking air from the top left is pulling from that bottom right hole, uh, basically sucking the leaves up and over into the vacuum, but all the seeds have just enough weight to, to go straight down and trickle down into the bucket. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, super efficient, but I highly recommend going that route. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to have to see that. I want to see your homemade one. <laughs> I got a video. Um, if you scroll down far enough, I got a video of me using it uh, on my on my feed. So if anyone's interested, it's there. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna see if I can get that video and uh, put it on the podcast uh, Instagram. So if people want to check it out. Yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. So, uh, last question: um, Do you have anything that you're working on? Anything new coming that we can look forward to? Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, just, uh, you know, even just the process of seed making takes like months. So everyone's like, well, when you drop in it, it's like, man, like, you know, even just starting from clone form, you know, cause you want to make sure you have enough, uh, enough plants that you're making enough seeds. So, you know, let's say you, let's say you, you're, you're running new phenos, you grow one, you're like, Oh sweet. Well then you need, so you, you're able to get like, you know, you don't have much room cause you're growing indoors. So right. let's say you have enough to get four clones. So you, you cut those, you know, and the mother's getting too tall for the tent now. So you're forced to flower or throw out whatever you have to do to move forward. Um, well, four clones isn't enough for me. So now I have to grow those four out and then get, then that, those, I'll get four, 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 and four. Well, now that's enough for me to, to play, whether it be, you know, donor, you know, sprayers or donors. I call it, when I say donors, I mean, it's the plant giving the pollen uh, and receivers is obviously the one receiving it. Okay. Um, so that itself, so you know, like, you know, grow, clone, root, acclimate, grow. And then like that itself is like a two, three, four month process. So like even just having one clone. So that, like right now I'm pheno hunting. If I find a beautiful clone, I have to do that process. So that's, so the second someone's like, Oh, do you have one? Yeah. I just, yeah, I have a pheno right now that I just flowered. I'm already thinking five, six months just to get like, <laughs> just to get just to get my sprays ready like okay now it's time like game time and then from there you know you got to flower it let the pollen go on let the seeds let the seeds mature well that process right there is three or four months and then you got to dry it that's you know and then make sure it's air dry and that's about two you know so it's just a fucking uh so yeah so i have stuff coming i have phenos right now that i think are beautiful but they're obviously not going to be dropped uh, again if you could just tell by the timeline i just said for i don't know hopefully six, seven months by the right. best next year. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, it's a definitely a process for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not to that point yet, but I definitely, um, I'm interested in trying to make my own seeds so that I don't have to spend, you know, a lot of these people are asking, you know, 60 to 250 to, you know, crazy amounts of money for seeds and i just want to find something cool that works for me and helps me with what i need it for and then go from there so but uh, I think that's smart. uh yeah so one thing i could just give a tip on that is uh it's just like the very beginning is like selection for me is the most important thing in breeding so like if i have a plant that like <clears throat> the secondaries, meaning the branches coming out the sides are like once four inches and once two inches. <clears throat> For me, I toss that out. If I have one that's, 
they're all whispery. The first set's whispery, and the second set is kind of like legit. I throw, I basically throw that out. If I have another plant that's the second set is like, or the first set, the you know the first secondaries being the very beginning are shooting way beyond the top of the plant, and like this, the, the second set's like kind of just being normal. I throw those out. So for me, you want to have something that's like really good, evenly statured. <clears throat> the secondaries aren't wobbly and, and wispy you know you want to make sure there's some some good dexterity when you flick it up and down um you know uniformity which i kind of just said but uh you know so selection during that process and uh, what happens is you, you end up falling in love with all of them and you're like oh well <laughs> i have to at least see what the flower it, well i have to at least see what the flower is it might be fire yeah it might be fire well right it might be fire and then the only problem with that is you go to breed with it well you're passing those whispery wimpy genetics on into the next generation, you know what I mean? So like now the people who are growing it might, the flower might be good, but they had a horrible time growing it and it took up so much space and all this money and nutrients and they didn't get a big yield, but the, the weeds fire. And yeah, I understand like connoisseur weed is good, but there's gotta be a, a happy medium there. Um, so again, so selection is huge going through that whole process, you know? And then for me, after you have find your selection and you finally pick, there should only be like a couple that are amazing and depending on when you're popping, maybe even one uh stress test it make sure she's not sensitive to that stuff and then from there you can start breeding and what i also suggest is <clears throat> what i didn't do in the very beginning is you, you want to start playing with plants that yield um you know because a lot of stuff everyone's passing out or not a lot but a, a good majority is like these like popcorn little nugs. golf balls yeah, but they're like fire and they're beautiful. But that's like that to me. That's so you can you could create the same thing with something that yields heavy. You just got to put a little bit more time into it, you know. Um, right. And you could probably cross that that go, the golf ball nugs into the big one, and then you go whatever. But like, so I suggest if you start, try and look for plants, you know, like cushions, or uh, you know, just I mean, there's hybrids that yield well too. But just you just want something that make sure it, it yields well. Make sure it comes from a good breeder that been in the system or it's you know it's reliable and then start sifting through that that pack and you know and find a good yield there you know we'll find a good one selection then stress test it and then you know and then uh, just kind of go from there it's just very helpful as especially if you're starting off to have plants that yield well and then you can always make those into fire yielding plants and you can cross it in the other stuff and then carry those traits over and uh it's just a really good idea to make sure that the yields are good. I would suggest for sure. So, um, would you like to give uh, your Instagram handle and where people can find you? Yeah. Uh, if anybody's looking for some good feminine seeds, uh, feel free to go to pbreeding.com. That's the letter P then breeding.com. Um, basically allow you to, so most companies charge you, an arm and a leg for a 10 or 20 pack. I actually allow you to buy singles. Um, didn't quite, wasn't supposed to quite be that way <laughs> in the beginning. I was going to do like three fives and three fives and like three, five, seven and tens or something like that. But my, uh, my web designer just whatever we had a falling out or something. So I just kind of let it be. And I, I feel like it helps the community because some people only have 10, 20, 30 bucks. And remember when I first started, all I wanted, I really wanted seeds and I had like $20, but like, I didn't want to go to seeds bin because it's like a crap shoot. Um, and they were the only ones that would do it. So I'd buy them, but then they'd all harm on me. So uh, I feel like it helps a lot of people. Yeah, um, but yeah. So that's my, that's my website. Uh, Instagram is predicated breeding. Twitter is predicated breeding. 
and uh, Facebook is Predicative Breathing. Um, and I'm on Social Club for some reason. I feel like that's going to pop off at some point, but maybe not. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that's Predicated Breeding as well. And uh, you know, if anybody has any questions or concerns or um, maybe I said something tonight that was wrong, <laughs> feel free to message me and <laughs> ask me or let me know. All right, man. Well, I uh, I really appreciate you making some time and joining me for this podcast. And uh, hopefully we help somebody with, you know, either starting in their own little seed bank or whatever they're going to do. So thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Anytime. Hey, what's up, guys? I really hope you enjoy this week's interview with Kyle Breeder and Predicated Breeding. I'm going to put all of the information for his site in the show notes. So if you're looking for stress-tested genetics, you can find them there. And uh, if you could please rate, review, and follow the podcast, that really helps us get out to more listeners and uh, you know spread the knowledge and break down the stigma around cannabis. So I'm going to be doing the giveaway as well. So if you could follow the podcast on Instagram and watch for that post, that'd be awesome. I'll see you guys next week.